0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: Big Jim is wearing his heels.
0: I remember when we were training and the police used to turn up when we were in mid-training session and then we'd see the police guy come in and it, it was potluck.
1: Yeah but there were there were my mates and uh, <laughs> And they just come for a cup of coffee as it <laughs> happens.
0: It was the wrong idea. Uh,
1: and when you gut got an instinct that says, don't do it, you shouldn't have done it. And then the cover up afterwards was probably the worst thing out mm. there. I, I don't know whether this when John Owl, somebody got the job. They rang me up and said, would I be interested? And that's not saying they were offering me the job, but they showed an interest in me. And I said, no, at the time i have still got a gig in me, if I, if, uh, but uh, and we were talking about it earlier on. But it's, it's whether I want it, and it would have to be the right gig.
0: On this episode, I'm joined by the coach who gave me my first opportunity and my first contract. Some might say he saved my life. It's the great Dino Dean Richards. Dino, Jim, we're here. Welcome to my office. How many times did you say that to you? Quite to often, me. yeah, I quite know. often. You actually, get in my office.
1: Well, there's never never a get in my office. It's uh, welcome to, to to the office, Jim. Again, mm.
0: and uh, take a seat and uh, and pick a window. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'm privileged and honoured to have you in here because I was chatting to Ravo and on the way up, and I saw you in the distance, and I didn't have time to tell him properly that I had Dino in the studio and as soon as I said Matt I've got Dino in the studio he's like fuck off I was like yeah and then I made a beeline for you the memories of old is what I'm trying to say is like I've filled with gratitude for what you did for me for a lot of the younger lads as well and if it wasn't for yourself and there was a few others but mainly yourself you wouldn't be in my office now that is for sure like I wouldn't be here so thank you is what I'm trying to say thank you is that it that's it that's uh, all. Rob, thank you right yeah you can go now. <laughs> yeah all done nothing more to say because like them days like as in when i was a young lad coming through I, d- I don't go back through the archives that much but do you remember me as this wild kid or have i just made this up in my mind that i was wild? i know i was wild yeah, because i was in right, trouble I, a lot you used to sit in the corner reading
1: shakespeare didn't you and uh <laughs> Um, and uh, you asked me to help you on a little bit on some of the bigger words. At that time, there was an unbelievable crew of youngsters coming through, of which you you were one, and they're all wild. You know, Harry Ellis, Holf, you know, Deeks, yourself, and the trouble that you got into was just incredible. And I'd spend most of my time either at a police station dragging you out, or in a, a lawyer's office trying to sort out a defence. And uh, and yeah, and but it was fun. And, it, and I've got to say, those days, with that group of youngsters, it complemented so much the, the the senior team. It just made the whole thing work, and, and it was
0: brilliant. Life skills is how I like to think about it. I mean, because it what, the, like the old school times, a lot of it involved fighting, right? Like we, we were fighting at training, we were fighting amongst ourselves, we were fighting on the streets, we were fighting in the toilets, and you were a, an ex-copper, so you... I probably knew that we were in trouble before we knew we were in trouble i'd get a phone call you know there's one that i had a phone call at three o'clock in the morning
1: and i'm looking at it. it's charles street police station saying picked it up dean you need to get down here and uh and it, so so yeah it happened and um in those days, the game was very different to today. And it was dog-eat-dog and, uh, and on the pitch, you know, almost anything went. And, and not anything went, but almost anything went. And what Leicester was about in those days was about physicality, totally total domination of the opposition. And if you weren't up to it, then you
0: never got selected because ultimately it's what got us probably to European titles. Mm. I remember when we were at training and the police used to turn up when we were in mid-training session, and then we'd see the police car come in and... It, it was potluck. It could have been Stephen Booth. It could have been myself. It could have been Luke Abraham, Brett Deacon. It could have been Harry Ellis. Not generally Harry. He he didn't really get in trouble with the police. Uh, Sarah Rambini got picked up once.
1: Yeah, but they were they were my mates, and uh, and they just come for a cup of coffee. <laughs> as it happened. so and then they'll be saying, was, uh, saying "I'll say I'll see your your boys on a Friday and a Saturday night." Uh, I you know the, the, Freddie and and. Uh, and all his brothers arrived. And, and at that point, you know, we'd go out on a Friday and Saturday night. And it was like a, a, this huge show that would happen on a Friday if you're going out, going out with uh, Freddie and Alex and uh, and Henry. And they'd invariably get picked on. They'd never start anything. They'd get picked on by somebody. But by God, did they finish it? And uh, uh, and the police had just come along and said, we've seen it on CCTV. It's not a problem. Leave it with you boys and just drive off.
0: I said to Revo and we spoke about this a few times, the one story that gets him every time, because he was there when I purchased my first pair of shoes when I was at Leicester. And I mentioned it off-air before in 2003, where the World Cup was on. So obviously we'd lost Jono, Benny Kay, uh, a load of others. But in the second row, Jono and Benny Kay. So I got pulled into the first team. And one of my first starts, we were playing Leeds away. And I remember Guy Manson-Bishop, in the, the great Guy Manson-Bishop, in the second row with me, I remember you coming to me and saying, look, this is your opportunity, all out physicality, blood and guts. Anyone's on the wrong side, you get rid of them. So because I'm from Coventry and took things very literally, I remember Carl Hogg on the wrong side. I've gone into the breakdown two-footed in my size 15 Gilberts, got sent off, red-carded, we lost the game. I remember you were filthy with me, of course. We never lost to Leeds when I was there. Uh... i tell you now, we lost that day. Did you? We, we did, well, unfortunately. I, I, I wasn't
1: in charge. You, you
0: didn't lose with the greats. <laughs> I'm telling you now, we lost that game. I remember being absolutely devastated. And what comes with being sent off, you have a disciplinary. So I remember we were lining up again in your office going through. You need to say this, you need to say that. It's obvious you've done this. Make sure you turn up in your best glad rags for the trip down to Twicken. I remember being in your Land Rover. Is this when you turned up with your crocodile shoes? That's the one thing. And you made me take them off going into there. Yeah, they, they were my best. They weren't crocodile shoes. They were fake crocodile skin. But I thought they were great, to be honest with you. Well, you didn't tell me that at the time. You told they, me to they, take them they off. They were great, but
1: they just didn't suit the occasion, <laughs> did they? You going in there, you've got probably one of the most staid guys, Robert Horner, I think it was, who was uh, chairing the the, the hearing. Uh, an old lawyer who was who'd wearing who was wearing his church's shoes. He got a sh- old school tie on and everything else like that and you turned up in your crocodile shoes, he would have just looked at you and just given you probably as long as he could possibly give you.
0: I remember walking in with the shoes under my arm, you behind me, and it was like I was going under, like I was going to jail. That was it, I was being sent. Yeah, and he minute. felt like that
1: every time you were up there. So I've been up before them loads of times. It was at the East India Cl- East India Club, I think it was, mm. and and every time you turned up there, it was just an absolute nightmare. But you just didn't know what was going to happen. It's still still very much the same way, really.
0: They're Leicester days and Leicester stories. I only see you as Leicester, and that's deep-rooted affection, emotion, gratitude. I only see you as Leicester. There's been so much more that's happened since then. Are you still Leicester or not is is that gone is that is is that just a point in time is yeah. Leicester Leicester still your club
1: um you know my parents still live in Hinkley uh, and I'm down all the time you know they're not always keeping you know they're a bit long in the tooth now and uh, so I'm down quite a bit and and I still have an affinity to Leicester a massive affinity one of the things that you tend to learn as you get older is is and I, I said to you earlier on, when you when you leave you think it's personal you've been there 22 23 years and you think it's personal actually but what you you do learn is that any decision is ever made in that sort of situation. It's never a personal decision. They make the people who make it, make it for what they think is the, the, the better of the club. And, and it, but it just takes you a little while to over, overcome it. And, and I sort of got over that, I think reasonably quickly, but I don't think they realize that I am over it. And, mm. uh, and actually have a, a, you know, a strong affection for the club. I really do. And it. it's one of the first
0: first names i look for on the the score sheets every week because you had a bar there it was dino's bar we wrecked it every time we went into there trashed the place free drinks if oh, you can say that yeah the three three legged races always started <laughs> or ended there or whatever so yeah but they took the name away or was that your choice or uh, their choice yeah, or...
1: Well, yeah i mean the guy that negotiated the severance package and everything he, he uh, at, at the 12th hour decided to slip in that they could use my um my name my image and everything else forever and a day and uh, and uh, we'd gone through all the stuff, we'd sent off the contracts for for, for uh, scrutiny, and everything had come back absolutely fine, and then literally on the day, the day of signing, came round to my house, and uh, and he walked in and and he brought in walker with him the the club accountant and uh, a mine mate had just popped round for a cup of coffee so i said to him so whatever you do just don't say anything i'm just going introduce you to Andy and uh, david clayton and Ian walker turned up they walked into the house sat down i said by the way i've got a witness andy who's uh, who's coming um you you may have seen him uh, in in the city he works in the city and i went oh right okay walked in and sat down gave me the contract and i just thought i'd have a quick flip through and they'd just slipped in this clause about being able to use my name my image and everything else like that forever in a day and i said look you can't do that i said if you'd have asked me there's not a problem at all i said but you can take that out so we crossed it out scribbled it off and i said i want all my stuff back mm. and, and all they had to do was be upfront about it but they weren't and that's that's how it happened and uh, uh which is a shame really because i hadn't got a problem with it at
0: all yeah one of the other shames i think is ha- not seeing you ever coached or you might do one day england a lot of people would say that that you never became like the England boss and we will touch on the stuff at Harlequins of course but was that the motivation was that the the trajectory that being an England great, a Leicester legend, a Leicester coach I, I, with so much success.
1: I don't always think that a, a good player becomes a good coach. I think sometimes you have to look at whether somebody's still got that hunger in the belly or not. And um, and although I had that, there's always that willingness to learn and to, to better yourself. And I, I and I do it in a very different way. I, I employ people who I think have got that and are, and are probably better coaches than me to challenge me in that way. And I think if you're getting somebody who's going to go into England, they've got to have that hunger in their belly, that willingness to learn and to better themselves time and time again. And and it probably didn't suit me. I, I, when I was at Quinn's, the, when, I don't know whether it's when John or somebody got the job. Um, before that, they rang me up and said, would I be interested? And that's not saying they were offering me the job, but they showed an interest in me. And I said no at the time. Uh, and I, And I still would say no because I don't think I'm the right man for that job.
0: Your coaching style was very different because you didn't really coach on the pitch. I always remember you were in the back office and then whenever it kicked off, you were out. But you were like the brains of putting coaches together and putting that culture together. Is that right in saying?
1: Yeah, right? I'm a facilitator. I, I, I loved making things happen. Um, you, you watch the urban flow, the balance of, of the team and uh, and you, you see the mixed emotions. And it's like you say, you're getting sent off against Leeds. Well, you know that's fucking terrible for you but at the same time I think I think how can I work that for my best you know and for the clubs better going forward and and if it means that you're better at rocking or doing you know and you you have to work on it or whatever, or emotionally I can work on you to actually make you a better player then then you, you you do that but you're looking for every sort of balance you facilitate the the club being a better club and you're putting in place processes and systems which you think you know will will make the the club improve and and, and get as many victories as they possibly can but and under the parameters that you you work under like whether it be financial or or whatever
0: is anyone doing that kind of role now in the game uh, because' it's a, it's a director of rugby general manager I'm because a lot you look at now it's I know the game's different now especially in the premiership more than facilitators a lot of the coaches are now on the pitch. Um, we could go through the archives. Alex Anderson, uh, George Skivington, uh Steve Borthwick is out there, like physically on the pitch, and that's what people perceive as like what the coaches do. I'm trying to think. Yeah, are I, I, there I, these never, I never sort of class myself
1: as a coach, and I mm. and I, 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 you know, I was sitting there talking to uh, uh, Lewis and Geordie and yesterday. Hardly enough having a coffee, and people don't take time out to just sit down and just uh, and just think about nothing, but just watch. And just, and, and just take time out to, to not think about work, but actually just think about themselves and and how they can better themselves just an hour you know an hour a week or something like that just sit in a chair and just put your feet up and just look around you just take in everything that's happening and just any thought that's coming to mind just jot them down and so I don't I don't think anybody is out there talking to people saying look you need to do this sometimes or have you thought about that and I think every the, the coaching structure that was in, in place with Kevin Bowering years years ago has since gone and, and before that there was the Ashridge course but that has since disappeared quite a bit and and there isn't that structure that's in place now uh, that that was in place then that is is there now so now I don't think anybody does but but also I'm very different you know I was a policeman for 14 years and and my outlook on life was very different to other
0: people's as well Mm. what do you think of the young coaches now do you think it's because I mean is it to do with finances in the game has there just been a, a natural organic shift
1: I think I think the games changed massively, and I think this Generation Z and everything else like that that you have is has um, caught a lot of the old old guard off guard, and and they don't understand the youngsters, and you've got to take time out to understand this gen- this new generation that's coming through, and, and it's a far far cry to what. You know, to yourself and people like Baki, Jono and, and that generation that's, that came through and the, the new ones, the new boys coming through are just very different and it's understanding how to, to get the best out of them, to motivate them and to push them in the right direction and sometimes it's just using people of a
0: similar age who understand them better to to get t- and to do that. I love how you said Gen Z. That is, that's on the tip of everyone's tongue in rugby at the minute, not just from a player point of view but also... Uh, participation obviously but also yeah. the in- fan engagement is around gen z because and, life's so different now right and
1: these and these kids they, they live their life on the phone mm. you know so instead of actually doing a lot of the, the the video analysis of people sending out on tiktok so you you know you you've got all this sort of stuff which goes out and uh, and, and it's how to how to 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 connect with them which mm. is far more difficult than than it would be you and I, you know, we'd sit down after a game would, and, uh, you know, we'd sit down, we'd probably have a chat for 20 minutes, half an hour about what we did wrong. or You'd understand where we went wrong and and you talk it through. But these days, the boys, they get into the change room, the first thing they do is, you know, they open the phone up and they're, they're looking on the phone, doing a swipe to the left, swipe to the right, or whatever yeah, they do. And, and who's saying what, what comments are being said. from yeah. and, the public. and the learning that you get by speaking post-match isn't there. And the learning that you, you get by sitting in a change room and talking through the game and training and everything
0: isn't there like it was years ago. And that's just the way life has has evolved. I think, and I'm happy to say this, being a dad now, father of 14, can you believe it? And watching my kids and watching society, (laughs) watching schools, this isn't rugby, but I think in society we're significantly softer than than we used to be. And maybe this comes around the, the coaching techniques And I remember back in the day, not that it was right or it was wrong, not just you or whoever was at Leicester, whether it be Cockers or whatever coaches I had, it was rough, it was strict, it was black and white, whereas now I chat to many coaches, some of my my best mate coaches, and I said, like, what's the difference now? And he said it's uh, tiptoeing around. Yeah,
1: there, there's, a lack of, there's a lack of resilience in the youngsters these days. They, they don't get the setbacks that we had years ago. And you know, in the R F U partly to blame. You know, you look at the structure, and and you can't have a loser. You've got to have a winner, and and that's not just the R F U. That's you know, in, in all the schools as well. You know, the, everybody gets a medal. Uh, but you know, when we were young, you, you know, there's one person who got a medal, and and that was the winner, and everybody else was a loser. But you, you knew what you had to do to get up there. Mm-hmm. And these days, it's very easy to get a medal because all you had to do is put on a pair of shoes and go out and compete and then you got something or a certificate at the end of the day and it doesn't give you that sort of hierarchy that you sometimes need and and the 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 playground um that playground sort of hierarchy just isn't isn't there these days
0: Mm. like having the self-awareness and again it's great because you've been at the game in the game for so long and also of that older generation the need to understand to develop this yeah. Gen Z approach. Do you know what I mean? And understand that, well, this is what it is. I'm not stuck in my ways. Like I was chatting to Cocker's. Richard Cocker We went out for a beer. How weird is this? In Edinburgh. So he lives in Edinburgh. I live in Edinburgh. Bizarre. Um, and I'm talking to him. I can feel there's still this old, and I love it. There's this deep-rooted old-school foundation that hasn't really broke yet. And, and he's happy. He's comfortable in that mold. But the fact that you said Gen Z, I'm like, Dino's just said Gen Z. <laughs> But you get on a, you know, I got on the tube in today,
1: and uh, everybody, without exception, was on their phone. Nobody spoke to each other.
0: Aside. Were you? Were you on your phone? No, I wasn't. No? No. I, no. Th- I saw you walking up the street with your Walkman. Was it a Walkman you had on? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm actually listening to a
1: a, um, a, bu- a book, an audio book, and uh, the two hockey girls who were... Uh, who represented Great Britain in the Olympics and it's fascinating actually mm. but yeah I, I occasionally I, yeah but I wasn't on, I wasn't uh, on the phone texting or whatever on the on the train but everybody else mm. was and uh, I just find it fascinating that there's no interaction whatsoever
0: on that then what's the state of rugby in your mind with everything that's going on and I say that because of society we've just kind of gone off on a tangent and mentioned that but rugby as a whole has changed. Both on the pitch, commercially, there's loads of issues. Look at the Wru at the minute. The fact that we've lost two teams in Wasps and Worcester, there could be more to follow. Yeah, and I mean it's not in a great place, is it? And he just needs to take a backward step and. and
1: and regroup and then move forward i I think in in 30 years time we'll be looking back and say it's and saying it's a blip and uh unless something dramatic happens in which case then if something dramatic happens then that'll be a huge shift change but i can't see anything dramatic happening so in in 30 years time we'll be saying it's a blip uh but but that blip may be at the expense of wasps and worcester the the welsh players are looking at going on strike they were saying this morning uh there's the the big issue in in wales with regards to the allegations and uh, you know it, it's it, it's going through a tough time and it was always going to we we're almost sort of 20 years behind the americans and when they had the concussion issue over there over the american football it was always going to follow over here but we you know it's probably only about 12 13 years and and we're, we're there and i think we sort of sat back and waited for it to happen rather than actually addressing it earlier and actually just nipping it in the bud and having things prepared but you know and that's there's probably the, the the story of the rfu and and world rugby and and rugby in general, we we tend to sort of wait rather than actually be proactive about things. Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll get through it? Yeah, I do think we will. I, I, there's going to be a lot of heartache, I, and you know the difficulty is, is that there's, there's probably only one club that can afford to survive these days, and and mm-hmm. and that's Bristol, um, uh, because because they've got somebody who can fund them. Uh, I think Bath probably could, but they haven't got the facilities down there, uh, and most of the clubs are, are struggling and to make ends meet and. Uh, uh, and whether it's year in year out, people are making a profit or not making a profit, it's almost irrelevant. You want the league as a whole to make a profit to be sustainable and and, and to be a, a great selling point. And at the moment, it, it it's not. So if the Premiership is struggling as a whole. Uh, the, the one thing which is a great advert, I think, the Six Nations is is still an unbelievable uh competition it's probably the best uh country competition other than the world cup out there as you see the tri-nations or whatever it is now the championship hasn't got a patch on the on the six nations yeah
0: i think that that is the main positive i think the the internationals the world cup in france it kind of covers over a lot of cracks in rugby and maybe there's an argument for cutting back on everything else, Dean?
1: Yeah, the the players are playing far more than ever before. There's far more demands on them. And and the game's uh, far more physical than it ever has been. Uh, You know, in our day, it was there were a lot more cheap shots weren't there you know the the amount of split eyes and bloody nose and lost teeth and everything else like they were probably greater but the the repetitiveness of the of the knocks and everything and the bumps to the head and everything were uh, are there today and it's quite evident and and it's far greater so you the the care has to be there and has to be put in place and 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 i think you know to be fair to world rugby they are putting it in place and and it is happening but probably five five ten years
0: too late yeah you reference bristol and Steve Lansdowne there and is it an open wallet an open checkbook I don't know but one of the big things and again having spoke to a number of people in the game Mark Evans we were one of the great brains in rugby Simon Cohen had him in the studio here we're talking about the finance of the game where do you stand? because you're at Newcastle for a while and we know that Newcastle weren't throwing big checks around left right and centre with rugby going down the route of having the likes of Steve Lansdowne's who have got open wallets and investing in rugby like that and just letting them go off. And whoever they are, it could be five teams, could be six teams, could be ten teams, I doubt it is, and being like, right. Because there's a part of me, Dean, that I think that is the only way the club game will grow, like in football, like in NFL, like in NBA, like in these big, big sports. Everything at the minute is cutting back, and we understand why. I understand the reasons why. But you're at Newcastle where they cut back a lot. Yeah. Would and, you like to see it? Just if you want to invest, invest. Or are you happy with the salary caps and the reductions and and everything that we've seen?
1: I, I think the 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 thing that people have to understand is that there has to be sustainable. And and one of the things that Seymour and I discussed when I joined Newcastle was one of his the his raison d'etre, his reason for being there, is that he wanted rugby to be in Newcastle, top flight rugby to be in Newcastle in 30 years time and and on the way there'd be a bit of heartache and uh, and we may get relegated, we may come back up and everything else like that but that that was his rationale for being there and I think sometimes you can have somebody come in and throw on many a lot of money at a club for a very short period of time and then just walk away and we've seen that at a number of clubs and I think what you, you're trying to do is to, to develop something whereby there is competition there you're getting a turnover of people who are winning the competition, and and it's sustainable as well. And I think if you just sort of allow somebody like Bristol or Bath or whatever to go ahead and spend twenty million as opposed to five million, you won't get that. You'll get the same winner year in year out. And although Bristol will have probably twenty five, thirty thousand people at the stadium, the other stadiums will be empty.
0: But aren't we seeing that anyway with the higher spenders? You, you, there's very rarely like an anomaly that comes through, like a Newcastle or a London Irish or a Worcester, but, who but, don't but, spend. But London
1: Irish will spend a little bit more than you think. Um, Bristol spend a little bit more than you think, but mm-hmm. don't necessarily get the rewards. So the anomalies are that, are that actually the money isn't necessarily the very true. It isn't necessarily the deciding factor. It's the quality of either the coaching or the recruitment or or the culture that put, people put in place and 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 for us you know we finished fourth on the on the second lowest budget in the league and the lowest budget was London Welsh um but the next year we got relegated but we always knew that the next year was going to be harder than that year because of the expectations and we couldn't cash in a bit of call but so so it, it is it is you are capable of being competitive and we are c- capable of being competitive in europe as well you know we we don't do too badly on on the size of the budgets compared to what the french do, french offer as well I forgot you finished fourth. I remember that. Yeah, and, then, and it was, like a, miracle, so it was got... a miracle. We, you know, we we got Sonotti, Sonotti and Nicky Gonover on the mm. wings, and it uh, was that. No, it wasn't the year we brought Goody, in. no, that was, no. no, that was a different it, year. wasn't I it? think it could have been a few years before where he said yeah. he saved you. Yeah, in his dreams. <laughs> Do you disagree? No, no, no.
0: Listen, if Goody says that, then you know who am I to disagree with uh, with him? It was hilarious seeing him play for Newcastle. He was big at the time, wasn't he? Uh, as in in Fill in the jersey,
1: yeah, and then the stats, the GPS stats on on it on his sheet weren't particularly big. So uh, I think he moved about ten meters. <laughs> mm. oh. But he was good. I mean, his class actually he came in. And uh, and after the first game, he, he played about forty minutes, forty five minutes, or whatever, and he came off and he sat down and he said, "Can I have a beer." <laughs> <laughs> I'm gasping.
0: <laughs> I'm gasping.
1: <laughs> That's what so I say. So
0: we got him a beer. Yeah. Oh, it was good. I, I love Newcastle. Um, so. I, I, as a player, it was always a really tough place to go and play. But I think sport in Newcastle, they're hard. Like, even now, look at the Newcastle team, albeit they don't have the success. Yeah. Oh, look at the pack, you know, with Carl Ferns in that, with Gary Graham, uh, Peterson in in the pack. There's and some and, great youngsters coming uh, through. Yeah. And yeah, they're uh, all northern. Like, yeah. northerners are hard, right? There, there is a difference.
1: Yeah, I don't know whether they're hard, but, but you know, we, we, we have this, you know, a culture space about being a true northerner and, and the true north. And, um, and yeah, there's an expectation that you, you look back at the heritage of the place, which was all about shipbuilding, coal mining uh, and manual labour. The local people there are, are very straightforward. They'll still go down to the, to the working Men's Club on the, on a, on a, on a, on a Sunday, uh, Sunday at midday and, and expect the food on the table at two o'clock. But, but there's nothing wrong with that. And it's, you know, but it's very, very sort of working class and in your face and, and that's what it is and it's absolutely brilliant it's a nice place to, to to be brought up and to live knowing full well that the the people are just the the salt of the the earth and there's there's no quarter given they they'll fight for every inch and uh
0: yeah it's it's great always say you know when you've met a northerner by shaking his or her hand it's a, it's just harder just there's like a harder hand just feels
1: yeah whether stronger
0: there's not many northerners who've got a soft handshake what what are you involved in newcastle now still what's the lay of the land
1: no not really um uh i finished last june um and i'm supposed to be consulting for the board uh but you know i i've still got a gig in me if i uh, but uh, and we were talking about it earlier on but it's it's whether i want it and it would have to be the right gig and um and I'd taken Newcastle as far as we could go and I'd still had a year left on my contract and decided not to, to, to take that up and uh, it's time the time is right for Dave to take the reins and so st- I stepped back and and I think he's done well but the you know with all the processes in place you it's never the next year it's the year after that where you see you know how things will will develop in the club going forward how you know how things will move on move on and and so you know I'm sort of interested to see what happens next year rather than this year
0: is there an appetite at Newcastle to push on there are rumors out there that the money potentially is going to dry up or they're going to be quite happy to see uh this talk of the two 10 league teams where you've got 10 teams which won't include Newcastle and then Newcastle would potentially drop into the next league that has been spoken about to try and Make things, I suppose, commercially easier for teams, and change the format of what Premiership Rugby looks like.
1: I, I think you have to go back to what I said before about sustainability, and you know Seymour won't be there forever. And God forbid that next week you cross the road and got run over. You know you have to make sure that we we can survive without him, and and that's ultimately what's happening. And and that sustainability, if it's a short-term pain, which it will be potentially, then it'll be for a long-term gain. Uh, and and the the last thing that I think that anybody wants is another wasps or a, another Worcester, which you know ultimately you know that's been a, a catastrophe from from a rugby's point of view, but also certainly from those two teams' perspective. And when you look at what you know what could have been in place there before. 10, 15 years ago or even 5 years ago and that could have been avoided quite easily
0: mm. Do you think we'll see a, sh- a, a shake-up though? Do you think there's going to be change around the corner? I think the pre- there has to be mm. uh, in terms of the structure and, and, the, and
1: the viability of the game and, and um, in terms of the, uh,
0: the, the monitoring of, of where the teams are at a particular time Have you got any preference how you'd like no, it to look?
1: I, I, no, not at all I'm sort of out of that at the moment and, um, and the French seem to have a reasonable model, don't they? Mm. But it could be that you know, but there's nothing to
0: stop us implementing something which suits ourselves. And are you hearing rumours of any other thing, any other teams? I know.
1: No, not not, not at all. You know, I, I, you'd have probably turned around and said there was probably about half a dozen teams up for sale this time last year. Mm. I, I, I don't think people understand how big an impact COVID, COVID had on on the whole industry as a whole. Uh, I think it was absolutely massive, and uh, and then with DCMS, then bringing back in. Uh, or c- trying to claw back all the all the money they put in, it's it's been a, it's been pretty hard for all the clubs.
0: Mm. If Newcastle wanted to invest, would you have stayed? I'm not saying that that's why you've left, but if there was a huge appetite for them to be at the, in the top four every season to compete, not in the Challenge Cup but in the Champions Cup, yeah, would you I, pr- be- I, pr- I probably would have done. But I know the parameters that it.
1: it, it that I would have to have worked in this year. And for me, I didn't want to work within those parameters. I'd done it for, for 10 years. Um, and and as a consequence, you know, I, I, Dave needed to, to to take the reins and I thought that would be a really good idea. There's other good coaches within the team and it just, you know, the succession planning was there and, and I, I could do without that. Mm. So, so I was quite happy letting that happen.
0: Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Can we talk about quince? Yeah, can do, yeah. I've not heard you speak about this subject. Bloodgate. (sighs) I'd love to talk to you about it. Yeah. Time's gone by. I, I, I know it's old news, I but I think people would love to hear. Yeah, but you your probably won't get anything out of me. The, the, the only thing I'll say is it was a
1: bad idea. Mm. Um, it was a wrong idea. Uh, and when your gut instinct that says don't do it, you shouldn't have done it. And then the cover up afterwards was probably the worst thing out mm. there. And so, whichever way you look at it, it was, it was like the perfect storm which just erupted into this almost like an atomic bomb of of furor and everything, and it just should never have happened because uh, I, being at the helm, I, I should have just said, no, it's not going to happen.
0: Mm. One of the saving graces was that social media wasn't as prevalent there. I don't think people were talking about it on Bebo or MySpace. You know, it's everything's trial by social media at the minute. But, I, I mean, I went back and looked. I, I remember when I was playing back then, I, I remember being a thing. But I also knew that many other teams were doing it so I didn't really see it as a as a thing which yeah
1: but I, it's irrelevant isn't it uh y- you know you have a choice whether to do it or not and and we as a team and I sort of sanctioned it and and allowed it to happen and or and, and was part of it and I shouldn't have done and as I said earlier on your gut instinct is to say no and uh And you should always follow your gut instinct in situations like that. And, and that was probably, you know, one of the biggest regrets of my sort of co, probably the biggest regret of my coaching career, how that unfolded and, and everything. But, you know, that's life. You've got to learn from it. And I've learned a huge amount from it. I wouldn't say, you know, I've got, uh, well, you do have regrets, but, you know, in your time out, you, you, you you learn to do other things and survive in a different way, and uh, so yeah, it was very different.
0: Do you had a three year stand down period? Was that? Yeah was, I did was, do, yeah, was it? Was it three years? It was three years. And what did yeah. you do during them three years?
1: Uh, I spoke at a few dinners. I um, uh, did a bit of uh, introducing for for an insurance company, Bonington's, uh Very kindly took me on, and uh, and I turned my hand to anything, mm. and and it, and it was fascinating that. First of all, the the furor of surrounding Bloodgate. I, I, you know, on the, on the day that I got uh, I got sentenced, I think it was the day I got sentenced. It was the same day that the guy who'd blown up, allegedly blown up the the Lockerbie bomb, was released from from jail. Yeah, and and I got two front, you know, the front page and the inside page of the of every daily. And this guy was probably three or four and um, three or four pages in, and and the the, the you know the significance of one versus the other one's a sporting thing versus you know people's lives it's it's amazing you know or it goes to show what a sporting nation we still are I suppose and the importance to us
0: yeah do you think that cost you opportunities at England
1: I, I was never going to look at England anyway so mm. bit, um, opportunities in terms of Quins, but you know we'd finished second that year uh, and it took them a year to regroup and then they finished first you know two years after that so yeah a little bit in terms of lost time for Quinns as a, as a team and and the disappointment of of the, and the trauma that a lot of the people went through who were there uh for that following season uh but at the same time it probably made them the boys a lot closer which i think was a is a good thing so if if, if you can have a good thing that comes out of it or a positive so so yeah um you know for me it, you know it's a learning curve and you learn from it and would i do it again definitely not
0: I think from the outside looking into that, but also the Saracen stuff that happened, and whether people like this or not, especially where we are in life now, is drama, builds drama, and builds a story, builds a narrative, and builds profile around it, like good or bad, you know, we always said as young lads, if you get in the paper, then that's a good, regardless of what there's, it is. There's no such, <laughs>
1: news, such thing as bad news. Yeah, is there? So, exactly. So yeah. there
0: is a part of that, and yeah. I know you've never really sp- spoke about it. It's different for me speaking about Bloodgate or Saracens because it never affected me in any way, both financially, uh, emotionally. Yeah. My life wasn't affected, but I know there's a lot of people involved in both of them situations. When I speak about it, tongue in cheek, there'll be yeah. so deep rooted. Hurt it's changed change their lives.
1: Yeah, it, it will have done. But your life changes direction all the time, and and it's you know you you, you experience different things all the time. It, it's it's very interesting that you know we're talking about certainties and everything else like that the other day and, and and all through my career you've never had a certainty you know whether it's be as a policeman you knock on a door you don't know what's going to be you know who's going to open the door and uh, you know you go into an accident is it a fatal accident is a serious injury or just a, a you know all these sort of things you don't get a standard a, a structure to your life and and, and in rugby you you never got that as well because at the weekend everything was you know everything throughout the world was, week was built up to a weekend but you were never guaranteed a win and you had the the, the emotions of the, the highs and the lows of of, of, a, of a victory versus a loss so I've never had that sort of stable platform of going to work throughout the week and then just sitting up shop at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon uh, cutting the lawns on a Saturday morning washing the car on a Sunday and then going back into work on a Monday it's all always been a roller coaster for me mm. and I've
0: loved it and I I've sort of thrived on it, but, yeah, it's that, that, that's that been my life. Yeah, in them three years, though, you must have been down, like, as in dark down. Yeah, um, do, 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 you know, it happened, I can't remember what day of the week it
1: happened on. The, the next day, I, um, I sat down, I was moping, moping about, and the very next day after that, there was a knock at the door at 9 o'clock, and, um, and the 95-year-old neighbour was there, and he said, "Do you mind if I come in, Dean?" And I said, yeah, "Not a problem." And he got a little Tesco carrier bag, and he, he he sat down at the table, and he said, "I don't want a cup of tea." He said, "I've got these, and he got a pack of four Tetleys bitter." And he said, "Should we crack one open?" And we cracked it open, and then he told me his life story about how in World War Two was. He fought in the battle in Monte Cassino, and then he was captured by the Germans, and then he escaped, and his journey back to, to the UK and everything else like that. And it took him about an hour to tell me, and then at the end of it, he said, "Tell me about your problems." <laughs> and I went, well, "Well, not quite as bad as yours. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and when you you think about it, and and. And you put things into perspective. You know, my problems were nowhere near as bad as his, and his experiences and uh, difficult experiences far exceeded anything that I've come across. And he just, he just sat down there and just said, Look, whatever you do going forward, you know, just keep your chin up and you'll come out the other side. And, you know, sure enough, you do.
0: You're telling me you didn't wake up the next day having drank a can of Tetley's that was probably warm without a headache and without feeling. If I had 21, I probably would have done. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you make of England at the minute? Are you happy with Borthwick in charge? Is he the right man?
1: I, I, the, the pleasing thing about Steve is is he's got Nick Evans on board, and he's got Kevin Sinfield there as on, well and he's bringing obviously uh, Wigglesworth in. The, I in the, in the think in the summer, or is he coming in direct? I don't know. I'm yeah. not too sure. They've not said, but I, th- yeah. I imagine it's for the World Cup, right? Yeah, and and. and and I think one of the concerns that you would have with Steve is that he's a disciple of, of Eddie. So, so one of the worries that you would have is that you would get very much of a matchless. Uh, but I think with Nick and with, with Kevin on board, I don't think that would be the case. And, and you'll get a plan B and a plan C and whatever and a what if scenario. You know, I, 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 I think there's a huge amount of endeavor. Steve is very forward thinking. And he plans meticulously. And you can see that already. And I think the more access he has to the players, the better you'll see them perform.
0: So I'm quite quite confident. There seems to be a real lack of atmosphere at Twickenham. I, I was there for the Scotland game. And we know that England got beat by Scotland. I watched the Italy game on TV. And it just feels like the public have fallen out of love with the team. I don't no. think it would
1: take much for them to fall back in love. You know, when, when Mitchell Scott was there at the weekend and when Mitchell scored that try at the weekend, you know, the crowd were delighted. Mm. Uh, it's just that the four tries prior to that, one was a penalty try and three were, were driving lineouts or driving balls. And and you, it, it's that ability to be able to make the most of what you've got and, and, and plan ahead. It, you know, one of the, the one of the, I said the Six Nations is fantastic and I think it is and one of the, the, the shining lights for me has been the way Ireland have played over the last 12 months or the last 15 months and I think Andy Farrell has taken them from being uh, a good team under Schmidt to being, I think, an, an incredibly well drilled, precise uh, team, which has got a clear objectives and a clear attacking strategy. You know, their first try at the weekend, you know, from a, from a, I think it was a goal line punt or kicker, you know, to understand where their prop's going to be when you attack this area and then to, to actually just play that inside ball with somebody attacking that, you know, the preparation, the vision to actually understand how they set up and whatever. I don't see other teams looking at that in, in as much detail, but. I know Andy and, and the Irish have done, and that was a clear, obviously a clear uh, strategy to play that if there was a goal line dropper, yeah. and they went down the middle of the park. and And they're, they're so precise in everything they do, and I think Johnny Saxton adds you know just a huge amount to that, as does Connor Murray. But at the same time, there's no reason why we couldn't have that same precision and understanding and and probably ambition to play, which I think with Kevin and with with Nick Evans, you'll get that.
0: Yeah, one thing I found. Interesting, and I was intrigued, was watching the anthems. And Johnny Sexton, who, as we know, is one of the most capped players, was crying during the anthem. I don't know if you are aware that Andy Farrell went through the archives, not of rugby, of the landscape of Ireland as a country. Ireland, Northern Ireland. Brian O'Driscoll came in and spoke about the shoulder-to-shoulder documentary. And they had speakers come in to talk about the heritage. And not that you don't expect stuff like that to happen. But the fact that they've got France at the weekend, biggest game, one versus two, all eyes are on it. There was a huge influence put on the history and everything and the emotion. I just think that being that emotionally aware as a coach.
1: Yeah, and, a, and, a, and I've, I've got a huge amount of time having seen what he's put together in a short space of time for, for Ireland. I like his attacking philosophy. I like the the understanding that he has of where to attack and how to, to 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 structure it. I I think he's done incredibly well. And I and I think everybody says the Irish have a habit of of peaking a year before the World Cup, but but they're not. They're I think they're getting better and better. And their understanding of how and when to attack, and uh, I think they're just improving all the time. Yeah. But but that's not to say that England won't beat them. Last game of the Six Nations, because I think it's going to be love a lovely game
0: that's you're so loyal i can't see england beating ireland on and paddy's weekend and they're on for the grand slam
1: anything could happen
0: oh, i don't know i don't know if we're, if england are at that point yet but one thing that really interested me i did itv for Wait, the first you're game. because you've been scottish i'm Sc- scottish is it weird that i'm scottish or not you're, which part of you are scottish i'm half Quarter, quarter English and quarter Chinese. I'm actually just as Chinese as I am English. Is that not crazy or not? I don't know if you believe me or not. I, I do believe you, yeah. You yeah. see me as English, don't you? I see you as English. That's the problem. I mean, you're a Cofskin, right? You, you said <laughs> my, my
1: mother was born in Coventry. Sorry, sorry, she was born in Scotland, brought up in Coventry. Ah, oh, she's and, the opposite to me. Yeah, it's opposite to you, but she's got Lithuanian parents. So I'm sort of half Lithuanian blood with you know a scottish mother and then on the other side my my, my grandmother on my father's of a grandmother on my father's side is english but his father's
0: welsh so i could have played for for four different countries so you're sat here you're not english effectively i'm a mongrel you are hybrid they call it now <laughs> that's a I mean, i'm a hybrid that's what i like to call myself but i'm happy i am mongrel that's what i am effectively. <laughs> yeah i'm not a gen z so i could be a mongrel you could absolutely okay. i'm definitely a mongrel steve Borthwick, really interesting watch his interview as England head coach and noticed there was a real shift in terms of his delivery. And then we were chatting with Lawrence and Johnny Wilkinson was there. He didn't really say much. And apparently the news was that Steve Borthwick had asked the media team at England to stitch all his interviews he'd ever done as a coach. And he wanted to watch them and his delivery and how he did it. And one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was one, one, do you think there's a need for someone that's heading up the England team to to be more than a coach and to be a front man more charismatic? Because it's really interesting that Steve Borthwick has thought, i tell you what, I need to look at all these interviews. I don't like the way that I've delivered it. I've got to have a more human, more charismatic side. Now, you have been a coach for many years. The media is part of that. Is there a responsibility on coaches? Think?
1: Uh, uh, there shouldn't be a responsibility. Ultimately, if he's the best coach... Then you work around that, don't you? And you use other people, or you train him up, which is probably what's happening. You know, I, I, if Steve looked at himself, and he's probably got some some interviews, which are probably as dour as some of the interviews I ever gave. And 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 if that is the case, then you you you've got to reflect on it. And and the beauty is for him, as I said earlier on, he's forever trying to learn and improve. And and I think there is a, a need for that international coach to have a a, a good media sort of footing and uh and to come over really well or as well as you can possibly you know considering who they are and what their persona is
0: and why do you think that is, it, is that a part of growing the game Is it's that, part of growing the game yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you've, you've got to
1: interact with everybody and uh and we, we you know we talked about the, the gen z but at the same time you've still you know you go to twickenham and there's a lot of people there who are 60 to, to, to 85 90 who still go there and you've got this cross section of uh, this this broad section of, of public which go there and you've got to interact with them all and i'd be very good with the 85 year olds but i wouldn't be very good with the gen z uh, but you'd be very good with the gen z and, and not so good with the with the 85 year olds mm. so
0: uh, that's what i mean. I think what people want to see is like steve before a game say fucking smash and then they overlay it with like all these big collisions like real nice music for tiktok but like i think that that's what people want people want to what, say what, what's tiktok Exactly. Tic-tac. Uh, I, I, I always immense, call it, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. gosh. But that is the world that we live through. People want that jeopardy and that... Oh, and, and it's, but it sells games. Yeah. And, and it sells interest.
1: And, uh, you know, whether it be TikTok tac or, or whatever it is, you know... Uh, Instagram, you know, all these things which, which give you that, uh, that media platform to get out there and sell, sell Twickenham, sell the team and sell an interest. Then you've got to, you've got to exploit it. And, and with that goes, you know, the education of the, of the head coach to it to promote himself in a better, the best way he possibly can. He knows that,
0: and, and that's why he's doing what he's doing. Well, I think that's great. I think having that emotional yeah, intelligence uh, totally. and the desire to do it yeah, is totally. brilliant. Because I, I interviewed Sam Tompkins from, for this show as well, and rugby league are going through a similar thing, probably worse in terms of the profile and the participation and the interest. They had a World Cup last year. I didn't even know it was on until I interviewed Sam, and we were talking about it. And one thing he said was like he would love to see coaches before a game and say, we should beat this team by 50, they're rubbish, <laughs> and have the ability and the confidence to say, if we don't win this game by 30 points, then it's not good enough, as opposed to, it's all about performance and the next game and just making sure that we get things right. Yeah, and, and
1: but, but the problem is, you're then absolutely smashed by the media afterwards. You know, you, you're lining yourself up to, for people to say, so, "Well, he was just overconfident, wasn't he?" Mm-hmm. And you can see it in his voice. And and, and actually, nobody likes to be criticised and and lined up like that. And you, you're shooting yourself in the foot. If if the I think if the media are a little bit um, less likely to jump on somebody as quickly, and and that's social media as well as you know the tabloids or whatever, then I
0: think you probably get a lot more people saying that. One of the things I'm disappointed with from what I'm hearing is that Ireland have started the process and then other teams have followed, that they've closed the door to Netflix. So there was this big talk of Netflix coming in, doing a series, and it's got to a point where it's such a big year for Ireland, right, that anything, any distraction they don't want, and Johnny Sexton apparently, allegedly, but I think it's happened, have said they don't want to open the door to Netflix into to the, the team meetings, the selection, the tactical part of it, and then England have followed suit I think and then what happens is it's a knock-on effect right if you were head coach going into a world cup would you I I I think think there's certain
1: things which are sacrosanct
0: and and one of those is team
1: meetings and you know there's certain areas that you certain things that you can bring them in and allow them come into but but you've got to be quite specific about it and there's areas whereby players would feel uncomfortable If, if one player feels uncomfortable and doesn't want a voice his opinion, because there's there's a camera there, then it's had an adverse effect already. So you've got to have, uh, you've got to have somebody who monitors that and actually say yes and no to to various things. And if that is in a team meeting, that's point blank. There's, there'll be no cameras in a team meeting. Then so be it.
0: Mm. I think it's this is the Gen Z in me. Yeah, I, I just think there needs to be a massive shift in terms of just understanding. Uh, yes, Ireland want to win a World Cup and they want to do something in the World Cup but I just think it's so much bigger look at Drive to Survive yeah. I don't know if you've seen any of that in Formula 1 they got huge pushback from some of the drivers Lewis Hamilton wasn't interested at all didn't and it's feature fascin-
1: and it's fascinating isn't it mm. you, you know for somebody like myself and yourself watching that it's fascinating yeah
0: look but, what it's done for the sport
1: yeah it's absolutely brilliant and, and, and I think there'll, there'll come a time whereby we, we do become far more Accustomed to having them there. And I think you'll find that the 19, 20, 21 year olds, because everything is on their phones and everything else, and they're constantly videoing, they won't think twice about it. But certainly for the older lags, they understand that actually, if one person or two you know, uh, who are 29, 30, 31, who struggle to actually and don't want to voice their opinions or have concerns about it, then it just takes one person. And I think the right decision is made, but it won't stop it going forward, I don't think. Ultimately, it will happen.
0: Yeah, maybe the organic yeah. shift yeah, it will, will need be. to happen. Yeah, it's got to. And, and I totally agree with that. You. you look at
1: F1, uh, what a great program.
0: Well, it's just shifted, has not it? And yeah. the, the interest from younger yeah. people, again, the online, the, the clips that you get. Danny Ricardo, yeah. not even a, well, he's a great driver, but he's not the best. But... Moto
1: GP. Have you seen the Moto GP one? Mm. Well, that's brilliant. As yeah. Well. So yeah, and you've got to have that. creates that interest, which and and you will get it in, but it, it'll take a little bit of time, I think.
0: Which it's good that we're on that path, I suppose. What about Martin Johnson, Jono? One of the biggest shames is that. One of the greatest players of any generation, the hardest, leaders, England captain, woke up, lifted the World Cup, hasn't got himself back into rugby. I I think it's criminal. Uh, You know,
1: you'd sit in a game, sorry, after a game in a change room, and you'd say, right, boys, you know, what do you think about today? Or even at half time, you'd say, how are we going? And you'd have a list of probably about six, seven points, and you think which is one of the three most, you know, most important points that you're going to come up. And he'd sit down there, and, and he'd just start off, and you'd be crossing them off. one Wanted to and you think, oh, for fuck's sake. And his understanding of the game was far better than people probably gave him credit for. And you know, he he got thrown in. At the, I think he got thrown in at the deep end. Um, if you're asking somebody to be a manager or a coach. And they've never managed or coached anything before. And it's at right at the top level. Then you need to, to wrap him in cotton wool. You need to give him as much support as you could possibly get and almost ease him in there in a way whereby that support then just drops off over, over the two or three year period. But they just threw him in there at the, at the deep end. And, and I thought by the time he finished, he'd done his apprenticeship. And that was the time to keep John John O on for the next four or five years, Mm. and I thought the time that he left was totally the wrong time to go, and 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 actually you have to question the the point of appointing somebody without the experience that he got. And, and then not giving him the support that he really needed. And he may have been resistant to it, I don't know. Uh, but at the same time, it's irrelevant because you put it there and then he can pull on the, all the resources he possibly needs and somebody could be there to help him. But it didn't seem that he had that that pool of resources available to him that you probably would have wanted in that position.
0: Yeah, it was a real shame. It was because it, I think from the outside looking in, is he probably expected a similar Thing to the 2003 World Cup where it was player led, and then in 2011 yeah. in New Zealand with all that stuff happening in the nightclub with Tins throwing small people around and the team doing that and everything and Manu jumping into the into the water and this kind of all media hysteria. I think I yeah. just don't think Jono expected that. Did he thought it would have been no, player led and and
1: and, and, uh, and it was always going to be difficult. You know, there's still that loose element to to the team that's there. Um, that was there, for, you know, f- from four years or eight years previously, or whatever. And um, but y- you manage it, and and I think that's the inexperience that sort of comes from not having had somebody around who would turn around and say, "Right, we need to do this. Let's go down this route. Let's say, you know, have you thought about that?" And and I know Johnny. John would just front up and say, "Right, you know, I, it's on my my watch." And I, but at the same time, I think it was you know, hung out to dry by hey, the RFE and by some of the senior players as well. Yeah john I, I thought was uh, understood the, the game incredibly well had an ambition to learn and i think he's missing i totally agree that he should be in the game somewhere do you think he'll come back i, I don't know i don't I, I, you know you, you get you can get burnt by all these the things that happen and and, I, and it would have hurt him his hurt his pride as you know the the bloodgate stuff did with me and and uh, and the thing that got me back into the game was uh, watching the kids play it at, at the weekend, because for, for 18 months, two years, I, I couldn't give a toss about the game. But, uh, you know, watching my kids play at the weekend, it made me realize how much I loved the game. And, you know, and I, th- I think he hasn't lost the love for the game. I know that. Uh, And you can see it the way that he commentates and everything else like that. But it's just a shame that he's not involved. And I hope that at some stage or another he does get back involved,
0: even if it's it's just purely at board level to give a different perspective. And you're desperate to get back in or not desperate? You're waiting. I know we touched on it earlier. Are you waiting for the right opportunity? What would Uh, be the dream opportunity? uh,
1: Dream opportunity um, is to have the ability to win something. Mm. And, uh, you know, I haven't had that for 10 years. And that's not you know my, my the, the vision that i bought into i totally understood that and we did as well as we could do with the money that we had available but with the vision being that newcastle will be there in 30 years time but you know if if i was going to buy into something it would have to be the the vision and the dream would have to be the right dream and it may be to win something it may be another another dream or vision which i'd have to buy into but it's one which i think is just you know is the right dream
0: is that anywhere or it could be anywhere yeah, yeah. you
1: know i, I don't mind travelling and you know i don't mind travelling at all i i'd look uh, throughout the world
0: Well, i'm definitely sure there'll be an opportunity there for the great dean richards but before you go because this is topical in the world that I'm in. So I'm involved with uh, World Rugby, believe it or not, I'm content creative director. And one of the conversations that we're having. Sorry, you what? I know content and creative director. I put the director bit on there just because it sounds so, so much cooler. So what does that mean? That means that my ambitions are turning into reality. So I'm really keen to grow the game of rugby, right? right? So for the, the the younger generation, I'm all for the Netflix Doc, I've been on this journey already by doing a podcast, by working for Rugby Pass, telling the stories of some of the most amazing human beings playing one of the most physical and difficult sports on the planet, right? So I'm really keen to drive the game forward, and World Rugby, I've seen an opportunity with myself, having done what I've done before, in terms of interviewing people, all walks of life, all ages, uh, all different backgrounds, they also need and they see the need for cross collaborations with other sports, with food, with lifestyle, uh, with music, all these different things. So I have these ideas about how we do it, whether okay. it be in the Sevens, whether it be in the World Cup, Australia. Did and you the, get paid for that? Apparently so. I haven't been paid yet. So No, I haven't full time. They've taken me in full time, which is amazing. I know I've not told you that. It's a big annu- I've not told anyone. It's a big announcement today. Oh, okay. yeah. I know. But the golden goose yeah. is in America, right, in eight years' time because everyone's yeah. looking at America just with what they've done with NFL, NBA, how they market the sport and also the size of the commercial opportunity there. Yeah. So there's this golden goose at the end of it. Part of the conversations that we're having, uh, and I say that this is more from a creative point of view, than Gen Z and how we grow the game, how we make the experience yeah. and the events more interesting, but also the products on the pitch. This comes to the question, Dean. Someone that's old school, but also is innovative in my mind. One of the things I put in, hear me out, when they say, right, what would you change in the game of rugby? And I put it out there, and I yeah. said, controversially, that I'd remove the scrum. And the scrum was my strongest asset <laughs> <laughs> on that right-hand side. And I know that guys like Julian White, Dan Cole... It was your only asset? No, that, yeah, that was it, that was it. I, but, I, did, I, as, I wasn't as, in a great position, but God, I
1: could push. As, as well as he said about you once, he said, you can't polish a turd, can you? <laughs>
0: you can but you can manipulate you can you can manipulate one so you'd get you'd get rid of the scrums i'll tell you why so hear me out there needs to be changes in the game right then there needs to be a shift and people have different ideas about whether or not the subs should be reduced whether or not there's wild ones like 13 men instead of 15 turn the pitch so you actually play wider and shorter there's some really wild ones out there for me the scrum and again hear me out you look at the game against Ireland and France. I think there was five scrums in the game. Okay. I think that that was it. Four to Ireland, one to, uh, yeah. to, to France. There you go. Yeah. So four, Ireland of, 21 uh, lineouts. Exactly. So a, a, yeah. a, a lot of lineouts and stuff. The scrum for me, you look at the decisions that are made around the scrum, some crazy stat. Half the time, the referee makes the wrong decision, which results in a long-arm penalty or a free kick, which then results in a kick. You're talking two and a half minutes for a scrum to, to unfold sometimes, okay? It's also a part of the game that... Gen Z, if we're using that analogy, but also a lot of other people have got no idea about. They're boring unless you are a rugby purist. So if you're there as a casual fan, if you're watching it on TV, with the way that the mind works with the youngest generation, you just switch off now. I think the game needs to be sped up, like we saw in the Ireland-France game, hence five scrums, all game, and take away their moments in the game that are so confusing that not even the referee who's qualified to make the right call makes the right call. So, if, so if, are, you, you,
1: are you saying that five scrums is too many?
0: I'm saying five scrums are right. Like, as in, like, that was. But that yeah. shows you that the fact that that game wasn't based on scrum. I know South Africa won the World Cup final on their scrummaging, so they're going to be hating it. I'm thinking, and I'm generally passion, genuinely passionate about it, is how we move the game forward and make it more interesting and speed up the game. And people will be gutted if that ever happened, I'm sure. But you must have, as a forward-thinking coach, something where you're like, that needs to go, something needs to change, or you still... Well, these, that. Are,
1: these extended rucks, I mean, just slow the, the game yeah. down
0: uh, massively. People going off the
1: feet of the rucks, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. Um, scrums, I, I don't see, you know, providing the, it's under eight, there's not a problem. Anything over eight and resets. You should never have a reset scrum, I don't think, it penalizes somebody. And, and the lineouts... I've got nothing against the scrums at all. I think they add to the game, and I think the the reason you have a a scrum and the way it helps is you're going to have two props. And as you saw against the French, their inability to move about created that first try. So this it gives you people to target as well. So Mm -hmm. it's just different sizes, different shapes, and... Uh, and different different, uh, athleticisms. Um, Do you know what? I'd just leave the game as it is for the next 10 years. Mm. And just instead of changing it, swapping and changing it, just leave it as it is and just referee uh, what you've got in the way that you've got and let people adapt and, and improve. But at the moment, things change and then, you get so many people who change their the, their beliefs and their ideas based around what's happening, and and then it changes again, and you you change your belief and you you attacking structure, and your defensive structure instead of actually understanding. Actually, for the next ten years, you know we've got the ability to attack here, here, and here, mm. and defenses will work it out. But then you you've got you know based on that on that structure that then still the ability to change again, but then you you don't because everything changes.
0: You're a purist, though. That's why.
1: Yeah, and 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 you, and, you which know, is, which is great. You know, twenty five years ago, there are a lot more people going to games than there are today to club games. I think, and and you, you look at the super Super Ten over and the super the Super Rugby. Uh, over in New Zealand, there's 30% less people going there to watch their games these days, and yet the amount of tries that have been scored are significantly more, and you're getting almost like this this basketball score. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen people go to a game whereby it's been you know, 15, 14 results with only 29 points on the board come away disappointed unless it was a really shit game and the, mm. and the school level was dreadful. But that's up to us to make sure that the school level's right up there. And if there's one thing I, I would work on is making sure that everybody's school level is is far greater than than it is at the moment. You look at, I think Ireland and France, their skill levels are far greater than any other teams, other than probably Scotland, who are really working hard on it.
0: Yeah, they are. One of the things, Gregor, talking to Scotland, Gregor had mentioned about getting rid of the jackal, which again was headline news after he said that. And that this is another one of my frustrations around the game because it is the grey area, but referees making a decision, and the right decisions generally around the breakdown, they do referee it very well, is like one hand on the floor for a split second, then it goes on the ball and the referee pings and stops the game. Yeah. Therefore, this kind of minute detail, I think we go two ways. One in which Greg has said, you get rid of the jackal and bring back counter in, or it's all out carnage and chaos at the breakdown and just let it go. Because there's too much stop-start. That's all All I'm saying, Dean, in terms yeah, well, of the I, casual I, I, fan. I, I would go down the... the Gregor's route because
1: you're, you've also got the welfare issue, haven't you? With the horrible injuries, though. Yeah, and and I think a, a lot of the the concussions, some of the con, well, not a lot, them, but some of the concussions will come from that area, anyway. And it would just tidy that up. People staying on their feet and just counter-racking. Mm. Right. Well, the worst injuries
0: we've seen, like Jack Willis, two knee injuries. Dan Levy retired it, exactly, yeah. off the back of it. Jamie Ritchie ruptured hamstring. Yeah. Rory Darge Scotland back row. So he's got a point.
1: So I, I think Gregor Greg has got a point there, and I'd probably look down that route.
0: Would you... Swap the pitch round or not?
1: Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd probably just play in the ten, <laughs> ten meter line up. The, up the know, jumper.
0: Up the jumper.
1: Yeah, fifteen in in a twenty meter channel. Yeah, it'd be unbelievable. That would be. Uh, it, it, uh,
0: it'd keep the Lester purists there, wouldn't it? It would absolutely. I'd i bring my boots yeah. back out. the, the old, old bobble hat brigade. I know. <laughs> Lastly, Dean, before you go, World Cup. Who's winning it? Um. Do you know, I think New Zealand
1: have played a really canny game uh, over the last two years. They've trialled so many people, had so many injuries and given so many people uh, opportunities that they're right under the radar at the moment. You've got Ireland and France 1 and 2. I still think that New Zealand will play a big, big part in it
0: uh, and I think it'll be, be between them and Ireland. Isn't it crazy that the seedings got done over a year ago, and the top five or the top ten has changed. Yeah, oh massively. Now, in Scotland, we're in a pool. Scotland, we're one of the best teams in the world. We're fifth in the world (laughs) rankings. The fact that we've got Ireland and South Africa, well, they've got us now as well, so it doesn't really matter. But I just think it's crazy that them three are in the same pool. And
1: the thing about South Africa is you know exactly what you're going to get. I think they're on the demise. I do uh, you know exactly what you're going to get from them so if you can't prepare for a game like South Africa in a World Cup then you need shooting it's just whether what you you provide on the day will work or not
0: get rid of scrums before the World Cup
1: <laughs> exactly that's why you brought it not <laughs> yeah
0: Dean Richards, mate. Jim, thank you. It's a dream. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I've been so
1: nervous about coming on here because uh, your banter is absolutely shit. I know. It's it's, shocking. But it's
0: far better than mine. I know. Well, welcome to my office and we'll do it again. All right, mate. Take care, mate. Thank you.